millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast. This episode deals with graphic content and may not be suitable for all listeners. 911, what's your emergency? On August 15th, 2009, a 911 call came into the Buena Park Police Department, located in Orange County, California, approximately 30 kilometers from downtown Los Angeles. The caller said he worked at a nearby apartment complex and that a guy looking for recyclables in the dumpster had discovered a body in a suitcase. And... He said the man believed it was the body of a child. The police arrived at the location at 7.30 a.m. that morning. There, they found a large, blood-soaked gray suitcase. And when they inspected its contents, they discovered it was not the body of a child, but a young woman. She was naked and in a fetal position. The victim was described as being a white female in her 20s or 30s with dark hair. She had been badly beaten and her face was very swollen. The police believed that she hadn't been dead that long due to the lack of decomposition. But they knew right away they were going to have difficulty figuring out who she was. There was nothing in the suitcase that could identify her. And... All of her fingers and teeth had been removed. Whoever had killed her did not want her identified. I'm Catherine Fogarty, and in this podcast, I'm bringing you the true life story of a small town girl who followed her dreams of stardom to the bright lights of Las Vegas, Nevada. Caught up in a high-stakes world where her looks became her currency, She had no trouble attracting men, although true love remained elusive. But then, he appeared. A handsome, self-made millionaire. He was a reality TV star, and he was going places. And while he didn't win the affections of the girl on the TV show, he was determined to capture the heart of the beautiful swimsuit model he had just met in Las Vegas. And within days of meeting, this beautiful couple would be planning a future together. A life full of glamour and excess, just like on those reality shows. Small town girl turned beautiful Las Vegas model 
is swept off her feet by a rich bachelor, and they live happily ever after. But this was no reality television production. And behind this couple's envy-inducing selfies and seemingly perfect lifestyle, danger was lurking just below the surface. Who was the handsome reality star? And what real secrets was he hiding? Their Las Vegas love story would be tumultuous and short-lived, but no one could have predicted the tragic ending. This is Fatal Attraction, The Murder of Jasmine Fiore. Brian Jenkins is an animal. It was an early Saturday morning in mid-August, 2009, when the Buena Park Police got a call about a body in a dumpster. Behind an apartment building, they discovered the remains of a young woman stuffed into a suitcase. She had been badly beaten, and her teeth and fingers had been removed by her killer in an obvious attempt to hamper identification of the body. The body was removed and taken to the Orange County Coroner's Office for an autopsy. The medical examiner determined that the woman had been severely beaten and her nose was broken. Her cause of death was manual strangulation. She had no other defining characteristics that could help identify her, like tattoos or scars. But she did have breast implants. The police had little to go on in trying to identify their latest Jane Doe, and no one had filed a missing persons report that could be linked to the woman in the suitcase. But 14 hours after the discovery of the unidentified woman, the Orange County Police received a tip that a man had filed a missing persons report with the Los Angeles Police Department. The man's name was Ryan Jenkins, and he told the police that his wife, Jasmine Fiore, had left their apartment on Saturday morning to run errands, but she had never returned. He said they had just returned from a short trip to the San Diego area the day before she went missing. When asked to describe his wife, Jenkins reportedly said she had perfect teeth and she'd just had her nails done. He also told the police that Jasmine had taken off in the past and that he wasn't concerned. Was Ryan Jenkins' missing wife the unidentified woman discovered earlier in Buena Park? The Orange County detectives contacted Ryan to come in and speak to them. But he said he had to go to Canada to deal with some family issues. Why had a man reported his wife missing, but then refused to speak to the police? And why would he be traveling to Canada? The police were immediately suspicious. Ryan said that he and his wife had gone to a poker tournament on Thursday, August 13th in Del Mar, not far from San Diego. And then they had returned to their apartment in Los Angeles the following day. The police knew they needed to retrace the couple's last movements. Where was Jasmine Fiore? And had she ever returned from their trip? Jasmine Lepore was born in Arizona in 1981. 
and then moved with her family to California. She grew up in Bonnie Doon, a small California community outside Santa Cruz, known for lavender farms and wineries. After her parents' divorce when she was eight, Jasmine was raised by her mother, Lisa Lepore, a ceramic artist. Growing up in the Northern California town, Jasmine was a tomboy who loved nature, animals, and playing football with the guys. In high school, she got her first job bagging groceries at the local supermarket and was well-liked by everyone for her strong work ethic and warm personality. And it didn't take long for the local boys to start noticing her. The former tomboy with the piercing blue eyes had matured into a stunning beauty with a gorgeous smile. After her high school graduation, Jasmine decided to leave small-town Bonnie Doon and pursue a modeling career. She moved to Las Vegas, Nevada, where she began working under her new name, Jasmine Fiore, which is Italian for flower. Jasmine was ambitious and determined to make it big. But in a city like Vegas, she soon found that lucrative modeling contracts were hard to come by. However, she was soon making a living as a bathing suit model and hostess at sporting events like Playboy magazine's golf tournaments or Las Vegas wrestling events. But after several years of chasing modeling gigs in Sin City, Jasmine had decided to pursue a more permanent career in real estate. In 2007, she shut down her modeling website and moved to Los Angeles. She obtained her real estate license and planned to become a broker. She also had plans to open a gym and a personal training business with a friend. With a new home and new career in Los Angeles, Jasmine was excited about the future. But she still yearned for that one thing that had eluded her, true love. Jasmine had no trouble attracting men who were eager to show off the buxom blonde on their arm but few seemed to be able to appreciate the small-town girl with the heart of gold who hoped to one day settle down and become a wife and mother. Jasmine had been married once back in 2004, but her ex-husband was now serving time in prison for dealing drugs. In early 2009, Jasmine had ended a three-year relationship with her fiancé, Robert Hasman, a wealthy real estate broker. Although the two had remained friends and had talked about getting back together. But any future plans the former couple had were thwarted when Jasmine announced in March that she had gotten married in Las Vegas to a man she had only met three days prior to saying, I do. On March 15th, 2009, Jasmine met Ryan Alexander Jenkins at a party in Las Vegas. The 32-year-old Calgary, Alberta native was the son of a prominent architect and had dabbled in various businesses. He told Jasmine he was a wealthy real estate developer back in his Canadian hometown. But his real passion was being in front of a camera. And in fact, he was a budding reality TV star. Good evening, and welcome to the latest chapter of Megan Wants a Millionaire. 
when Ryan Jenkins met Jasmine Fiore in March of 2009. He had just been a contestant on the VH1 reality series, Megan Wants a Millionaire. The show was the kind of dating reality programming that numerous networks were cashing in on at the time. The genre had taken hold with the Fox Network series, Who Wants to Marry a Multimillionaire, in 2000. The show's producers quickly followed up with another winning television format called The Bachelor series. Suddenly, primetime television was dominated by catty contests that portrayed women as manipulative gold diggers in competition for rich men. Megan Wants a Millionaire was a reality show where wealthy bachelors competed for the love of a materialistic blonde named Megan Hauserman, a former Playboy model. The winner would get a trophy wife, and she would get their money. VH1's casting notice for Megan called for single men of the highest pedigree, with a net worth of $1 million or more. Casting producers placed ads on radio stations and threw casting parties at nightclubs looking for qualified candidates. They found Ryan Jenkins in Las Vegas, where he won the team over with his charm and good looks. On the show, Ryan Jenkins said he was a real estate developer and claimed to be worth $2.5 million. On the first episode, he described himself as a little bit of a Prince Charming and a little bit of a bad boy. I typically date girls that turn a lot of heads. I love the chase. Ryan was soon given the nickname Smooth Operator for his cheeky cockiness. The note says Megan's going to be testing us on our manhood. Perfect. I'll just unzip my pants. Ryan chased Megan along with 11 other rich bachelors, and she thought he was sweet. Ryan gave me his phone number secretly while we were filming. So on our first day off, I called him and I wound up speaking to him for a couple hours and I actually really liked him. But Ryan was ultimately not the millionaire that Megan would pick. At the elimination, um, I was crying and I told him he was eliminated. A few days after the reality series wrapped, Megan Hauserman wanted to reach out to Ryan. But to her surprise, he had already moved on. So I just thought that I would just call him in like three days and explain to him the situation. But then he called me and told me he had met the love of his life in Vegas and that they were married. I was shocked because three days before he was telling me I was the love of his life. After being eliminated from the reality series, Ryan went back to Vegas and it wasn't long before another beautiful blonde caught his eye. But this time, he wasn't going to let her get away. According to her friends and family, Jasmine Fiore was instantly attracted to the wannabe reality star. He was good-looking, charming, and apparently successful. But she shocked everyone when she announced that they had married only three days after meeting. A family friend recalled hearing about the impromptu marriage. I knew about Ryan Jenkins 
the day after St. Patrick's Day, Jasmine phoned me early in the morning. She was really excited. She told me that she was in love and she had met this wonderful man from Canada at a party at the Hawaiian Tropic Hotel and that it was love at first sight. Photos from the 24-hour Little White Wedding Chapel on the Vegas Strip showed a beaming couple. But the ink had barely dried on their marriage certificate when problems emerged. Ryan Jenkins was not exactly the charming Romeo he had portrayed himself to be. And it turned out he had some dark secrets. Two years earlier, in January of 2007, Jenkins had been convicted of assaulting his then-girlfriend, Farron Jewell. In court, he admitted to punching her in the head and knocking her down when she attempted to leave his Calgary apartment. He was sentenced to 15 months probation, which included counseling for sex addiction and domestic violence. In her victim impact statement, Farron Jewell stated that Jenkins would have temper tantrums when he didn't get his way, particularly when it came to sex. Friends in his inner circle back in Calgary were familiar with Ryan's attitude towards women and sex. He was a well-known connoisseur of large breasts, blonde hair, and kinky sex. For his 30th birthday party, Jenkins had hired a pair of strippers to simulate sex in front of his guests. Stories of Jenkins' aggressive sexual demands began making rounds among his friends, and another former girlfriend came forward to say that he had been abusive in their relationship in 1999. Ryan apparently withheld his violent past from his new wife. But less than a month after their wedding, it surfaced, and those around the newlyweds immediately noticed his possessiveness and jealousy. On one occasion during a Las Vegas pool party, friends witnessed Ryan hitting Jasmine in the arm because he didn't like something she had said. His strike was hard enough to catch her off balance and she fell into the pool fully dressed. Friends of Jasmine's became concerned. If he was that aggressive in public, what was going on behind closed doors? But shortly after that incident, according to court documents, Jasmine filed a domestic violence complaint against Ryan, and he was charged with assault. A court date had been set for December. Jasmine realized she had made a big mistake and didn't want anything to do with her new husband. She later claimed that she had only married him because he was trying to get a green card, permanent residency in the United States. It was a business arrangement, and he was supposed to have paid her $10,000 but never did. According to her mother, Jasmine had their marriage annulled two months after they had wed in Vegas. Jasmine was anxious to put the whole relationship and the quickie marriage behind her. In fact, she and her former fiancé were talking about getting back together. But Ryan Jenkins wasn't planning to let his beautiful new bride slip away. Ryan begged Jasmine to give him another chance. While in Mexico filming another reality series for VH1, Ryan sent Jasmine poems and letters trying to convince her they should be together. In an email, 
dated July 27, 2009, he professed true and lasting love. The email read, quote, If you can come back to me and stop all the craziness, we can have a wonderful life. Your forgiveness, trust, and loyalty is all I need right now. And when your love for me grows and our lives are heading in the right direction, I'll truly feel complete. I will never leave you. I only want you. End quote. For reasons unknown, Jasmine returned to Ryan, and the reunited couple resumed their life together in Los Angeles. On Thursday, August 13th, Jasmine and Ryan drove south to San Diego in her white Mercedes to attend a poker tournament. They checked into the La Berge del Mar, a boutique oceanfront resort. The following day, only Ryan checked out. The Orange County police were almost certain that the mutilated body they found in a suitcase in Buena Park on August 15th was the body of Jasmine Fiore, Ryan Jenkins' wife. But the medical examiner's office had not made an official identification. While they waited on a positive ID, the detectives assigned to the case retraced the couple's last known movements and traveled to the San Diego area hotel where Jasmine and Ryan had stayed on August 13th. The detectives wanted to talk to any employees that may have interacted with Ryan and Jasmine, and they wanted to look at the hotel's surveillance cameras. Several of the staff at the luxury hotel recalled seeing the attractive couple, but reported nothing unusual. But the hotel's surveillance cameras told a very different story. At 3.28 p.m. on August the 13th, Ryan and Jasmine arrived at the hotel in Jasmine's white Mercedes. The hotel employees were seen helping them with their luggage, including a large gray suitcase. After they checked in, they were seen walking to the elevators and eventually into their room on the first floor of the hotel. Jasmine and Ryan didn't appear back on the surveillance cameras until two hours later. They were both dressed up and looked like they were going to spend the night on the town. They were heading out to a poker tournament that was taking place at the Hilton Hotel, 10 minutes away. The police then focused on the camera near their room to see when the couple returned from their night out. However... Ryan was the only one seen returning to the hotel room. Then, at 4.38 a.m., Ryan was seen running in the hallway before he disappeared back into his room. He appeared again a few minutes later, dressed in sweatpants and a tank top. He was carrying an ice bucket and another unidentified item. The police searched Ryan and Jasmine's hotel room for blood evidence but the room had already been cleaned. The room was on the first floor of the hotel and had a small patio that backed onto the parking lot. The investigators searched the outdoor patio and found a spot of blood and a long dark hair. 
The police were now certain that Ryan had something to do with Jasmine's disappearance. But they still didn't have enough evidence to prove that she had been killed. The police turned back to the hotel surveillance footage. Ryan was seen again on camera at 6.24 a.m. the following morning, with his hands full of clothes and toiletries. Then, he wasn't seen again until 9.20 a.m., when he checked out of the hotel alone. He did not have the large gray suitcase the couple had arrived with. Detectives were anxious to speak to Ryan Jenkins, but since reporting Jasmine missing, he had simply vanished. The investigators went to Ryan and Jasmine's penthouse apartment in Los Angeles and discovered it had been cleared out. The police also searched the underground parking area and discovered that Jasmine's white Mercedes and Ryan's black BMW X5 SUV were both missing. An APB, All Points Bulletin, was released on both cars. Then, a few days later, investigators received a call that Ryan had a storage unit in Las Vegas and he owned a speedboat called the Night Ride Her. The police raced to Las Vegas, but they were too late. Ryan's boat and its trailer were gone. Their primary suspect had fled and was likely driving his speedboat to the coast to evade capture and border patrol. The California police realized that Ryan Jenkins was probably heading back to Canada on water, and their search for a potential killer had just turned into an international manhunt. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On Friday, August 21st, Ryan's SUV and boat trailer were found at a marina in Blaine, Washington, a small city on the edge of the Canadian border and approximately 48 kilometers from Vancouver. When the police inspected the vehicle, they noticed that the hood was still warm from the engine. The U.S. and Canadian Coast Guards were immediately notified. And within a few hours, the U.S. Coast Guard spotted a speedboat matching the description they had been given. A high-speed water chase ensued, but the Coast Guard vessel could not catch up to the powerful boat before it crossed into Canadian waters. The boat was later found abandoned in a marina in Point Roberts, Washington, a few minutes away from the Canadian border. Jenkins had eluded the American authorities and had simply walked back into Canada. But his homeland had no intentions of harboring the suspected killer. A Canadian-wide arrest warrant was issued and the RCMP began tracing his family members and any known acquaintances. And while the Canadian police were following up on any leads, the Orange County District Attorney's Office held a news conference to confirm that the mutilated body found in the dumpster in Buena Park had been identified as 28-year-old Jasmine Fiore. With her fingers and teeth missing, the coroner's office had finally confirmed her identity by tracing the serial numbers on her breast implants. Ryan Jenkins had appeared on two reality shows and had dreams of making it big in television. But now his image was being splashed all over TV news shows and entertainment gossip blogs for another reason. He was wanted for murder. And I can now announce that as of this afternoon, we now have a warrant for the arrest of Ryan Alexander Jenkins for the murder of Jasmine. I would like to extend our sincere and heartfelt condolences to the family and friends. 
And I can also promise the vigorous and judicious pursuit of justice in this case. The U.S. Marshal Service was offering a $25,000 reward to any Canadian or American citizen who assisted in his capture. A spokesperson for the Orange County District Attorney's Office spoke of the brutality of the crime, saying it showed how dangerous the killer was. Consider how much time it would take to pull out every tooth, one by one, said the spokesperson. In attendance at the news conference were several distraught friends of Jasmine's, but their grief paled in comparison to the visibly shaken middle-aged woman they were holding on to, Lisa Lapore, Jasmine's mother. Speaking in front of the news cameras that had assembled, Jasmine's mother pleaded with the people of Canada to not shelter or assist Ryan Jenkins. I just want the people in Canada to help get that guy and not let him hide out, she implored. That man needs to be behind bars. She added that she was concerned that Ryan had resources to help him hide since he came from a wealthy family in Calgary. His family has planes and real estate, she said. Orange County prosecutors agreed and said they would be setting his bail at $10 million if he was captured. And they might even seek the death penalty if he was convicted. When asked about her daughter, Lisa Lepore described Jasmine as an amazing woman. She loved animals, especially horses, said her mother. She had been riding since she was five years old. She also loved snowboarding and racing cars, high adrenaline stuff. So many people loved her, she added before breaking down. Robert Hasman, Jasmine's ex-fiancé, also spoke at the news conference. Jasmine was a, was a beautiful person. She uh, um, was a very caring individual. Um, she loved her family and friends. And uh, a lot of the information that you're seeing on the news is not true. Um, uh, we had a very uh, close relationship for a long time, and she was just a beautiful person. And he had a message for Ryan's family. Uh, this message goes out to the family, uh, his mother and father, and to the friends that are helping him try to leave this country. Uh, Ryan Jen Jenkins is an animal. Um, what he has done to Jasmine is uh, unspeakable. Um, it's just not right. And I appreciate your help. Um, please understand who you are helping leave this country. And we ask for your support to, uh, to bring Ryan um, to custody. Using helicopters and tracking dogs, the Canadian police continued to search the area where they had found Ryan's speedboat. Numerous witnesses called in tips to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police saying they had spotted the fugitive, but his whereabouts remained a mystery. They knew he had crossed the border into Canada on foot, so if he had gotten away, 
he was likely getting help from someone else with a car. And if so, where would he go? Was he trying to get back to his family in Calgary? Or would he try to disappear somewhere else? A man who fit the description of Ryan was apprehended coming off a flight from Vancouver to Toronto, but it turned out to be a false lead. Ryan Jenkins could be anywhere. The town of Hope, British Columbia, is in the Fraser Valley, approximately 152 kilometers from downtown Vancouver. Originally established as a trading post for the Hudson Bay Company in 1848, it was also the site of the Fraser Canyon Gold Rush. Described as a woodsy tourist town, it gained popularity in 1982 when it was featured in the Sylvester Stallone movie Rambo First Blood. On the morning of August 23, 2009, Kevin Walker, the manager of the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, was checking on his upcoming vacancies. Most of the rooms in the motel were rented by the month to guys working in the local logging and mining camps, but they did get some tourists as well. Walker realized that one of his guests that was due to check out that morning had not been by the front desk to turn in his key. The guy had arrived three days earlier. He had pulled up in a silver Chrysler PT Cruiser with Alberta license plates. A pretty blonde woman was driving. She registered and paid cash for three nights while the guy stayed in the car. The manager then saw her driving away from the motel about 20 minutes later. The next day, he saw the man walk past his room once. He remembered thinking the guy looked disheveled and depressed. The motel manager decided to go to the room to see if the guy had left. He knocked on the door of room number two, but got no response, so he used his master key to open the door. Right away, he noticed an open laptop and some other items in the room. Then, turning towards the bathroom, the motel manager saw the man. He hadn't checked out of the room, but he had definitely checked out. He was dead. Reality show contestant Ryan Jenkins was found hanging by a belt from a coat rack at the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia on Sunday night. Hotel manager Kevin Walker was shocked when he found Jenkins' body. You're not expecting it to open up the door and see a man hanging right there. Ryan Jenkins' flight from American Justice had ended in a secluded, rundown roadside motel in a town named Hope. It was far away from the bright lights of the Vegas Strip and the Hollywood lifestyle he so desired. The 32-year-old suspected murderer had hanged himself with a belt in the motel room closet. He had played out the final scene in a very real-life drama of fatal attraction. He had murdered the beautiful woman he couldn't have, and then took his own life instead of facing the consequences of what he had done. But he had left script notes behind. The police found a final will and testament on his computer. 
In the one-and-a-half-page document, Ryan said that he was going to be portrayed as a monster, but that the real monster was Jasmine. He said that she was the love of his life, but he was resentful because he believed she was cheating on him. Jenkins referred to her talking to a former boyfriend while they shared a hotel room in San Diego. He said he gave her everything and he loved her, but she had ruined their marriage. In his final words, he never confessed to killing Jasmine, but he did apologize to his family for causing trouble. With their number one suspect dead from an apparent suicide, the Orange County District Attorney's Office declared that the Jasmine Fiore murder investigation was closed. They were confident that Ryan Jenkins was solely responsible for her death and he had killed her on the night of August 13th when they were in the San Diego area. The police had obtained Jasmine's cell phone records and discovered she had recently spent time with her ex-husband. Just days before she was murdered, she had picked him up from a San Diego area prison and had spent a day at the beach to celebrate his release. She had also been texting her ex-boyfriend, Robert Hasman, on the night she died. Jasmine told him she was over her relationship with Ryan and wanted to be with him. The police believed that Ryan saw the text and in a jealous rage, strangled Jasmine to death. He then removed her teeth and fingers before placing her nude body in one of the suitcases they had brought to the hotel. He then drove back to Los Angeles on August 14th and dumped her body in a dumpster in Buena Park. The following night, he filed a missing persons report before taking off to Las Vegas to retrieve his boat and escape to Canada. He had probably assumed her body would not be discovered for a while, and even if it was, he had tried to make sure it would be hard to identify her. But investigators still had some unanswered questions. The Canadian police wanted to know who had helped Ryan in his escape. Who was the blonde mystery woman who had driven Ryan to the motel in Hope, British Columbia, and paid for the room? We have to determine if there was anyone else involved, if anyone helped with the crime. And the California police were still trying to determine where Jasmine had been killed. Her teeth and fingers had not been found. Then, on August 26th, three days after Ryan Jenkins' body had been discovered, the LAPD received a tip about an abandoned car in a West Hollywood parking lot, approximately one mile from Jasmine and Ryan's penthouse apartment. The car was a white Mercedes-Benz, and it turned out to be Jasmine Fiore's missing car. When the police opened the car to process it, they finally discovered the crime scene they had been looking for. There was blood everywhere. On the door panels, in the carpet, and on the door seals. The windows had blood splatter on them, and there was also a large blood stain in the back seat. The police theorized that Ryan had placed the suitcase with Jasmine's body in it in the back seat, and blood had soaked through the suitcase. 
It was obvious that there had been a violent struggle in the car, but someone had attempted to clean it up. The car also looked like it had been driven off-road somewhere, with grass and twigs stuck to the undercarriage. The police believed Ryan had pulled off the road somewhere between San Diego and Los Angeles to dump Jasmine's teeth and fingers. Back in Canada, the RCMP discovered that the silver PT cruiser that Ryan and an unidentified woman had driven to the Thunderbird Motel in Hope, British Columbia, was registered to Dan Jenkins, Ryan's father. They soon announced that the mystery woman was Ryan's 20-year-old stepsister, Elena Jenkins. The RCMP later announced that they would not be pressing charges against the young woman. Ryan Jenkins' suicide brought closure to the murder investigation and an international manhunt. But the grisly crime brought up much-needed attention to the reality of reality dating shows and how they cast their contestants. How had a man with a prior conviction of domestic assault against an intimate partner become a contestant on a show about a woman finding a successful man to marry. After his death, the casting director who had selected him for the show spoke about why he was cast. Ryan was just full of energy, louder than life, would get the most attention in the room. He was someone that really fit perfectly for this type of show, especially a dating reality show. He knew he was going to have fun and make for really good TV. But while his personality seemed to fit the show, how had he gotten through the screening process of a well-established television production company? 51 Minds Entertainment that produced the show said it was not aware of Jenkins' criminal record when it cast him on the series. They claimed to have a stringent vetting process, but then went on to blame a Canadian court clerk for not informing the investigative firm they hired to do background checks on potential contestants that Jenkins had a record in Canada. But after Jenkins appeared on Megan Wants a Millionaire in March of 2009, the production company cast him again in a second series called I Love Money. And even if his prior conviction in Canada has slipped through the cracks, he had been charged again in June of that year for assaulting Jasmine and was to appear in a Las Vegas court in December. The production company claimed they knew nothing about Jenkins' most recent assault charge, but the damage was done. And all of a sudden, everybody's looking at us like, what have you guys done? Who are you putting on television? Are you endangering the lives of your contestants by not vetting these contestants well enough? VH1 pulled Megan Wants a Millionaire off the air and the second series Jenkins appeared on, I Love Money 3, was never aired. The production company's reputation was in tatters, and VH1 wanted their money back. VH1 decided that they needed to pull Megan Wants a Millionaire off the air and not allow I Love Money to be edited and aired. So that's two full TV shows, which cost about $6 million each. So VH1 said to us, you owe us $12 million. 
Ryan Jenkins' violent past and his ability to compete in two reality shows highlighted the exploitive truth about an industry that was profiting off people's emotions and intentionally casting dishonest and unstable individuals who made for better TV. And his story was not the first time the reality of reality contestants had been exposed. In 2000, the Fox Network aired one of the first reality dating shows called Who Wants to Marry a Millionaire? on which 50 women competed to marry a man named Rick Rockwell. 22 million people tuned in to watch the season finale when Rick married one of the contestants. But it was later revealed Rockwell was hardly a multimillionaire and a former girlfriend had obtained a restraining order from him in 1991. Although the show had been incredibly lucrative for the Fox network, they cancelled it after one airing. But the controversy didn't stop other networks from cashing in on the fake romance genre, and nine years later, Megan Wants a Millionaire would air. And Ryan Jenkins, a smooth-talking bachelor claiming to be rich, would get his 15 minutes of fame before killing his wife and himself. Eleven years after the murder of Jasmine Fiore, many television networks have faltered, and the popularity of dating reality series has declined. But shows like The Bachelor and The Bachelorette still draw millions of viewers every season. People will always be drawn to the fantasy of a Prince Charming, an everlasting love. The shocking murder of Jasmine Fiore and the suicide of Ryan Jenkins did change the way reality shows conducted their casting and background checks on potential contestants. But regardless, two families ultimately lost their children. Nada Antic, Ryan's mother, who lived in Vancouver at the time, refused to accept that her son had killed Jasmine, even though he had a history of violence towards women. She told a Canadian reporter, quote, My son, my little boy, is innocent. I think he panicked, and I'm just dead inside. I'm devastated. End quote. She added that she was sure evidence would eventually prove her son's innocence. Ryan's father, Dan Jenkins, told a Calgary newspaper that his son was kind and sweet. He said Ryan was incapable of the violence he was accused of. He then added, quote, Something down there in these last four months, including that girl, just destroyed him. I advised him 50 times to get rid of that relationship, end quote. Dan Jenkins stated that he planned to hire his own investigator and was going to offer a reward for the capture of the true killer. But a few months after Ryan Jenkins' suicide, the Buena Park Police in Orange County, California, met with the grieving Canadian father. 
and in an unprecedented move, they showed him all of the evidence they had against his son, including the video footage from the hotel where Jasmine was last seen alive. Sadly, there was no doubt who had murdered Jasmine Fiore. For Jasmine's family and friends, many of them wished they had stepped in when they suspected Ryan was being possessive and abusive. Jasmine Fiore's mother, Lisa Lapore, who appeared on NBC's Today Show, said she hoped the death of her daughter would shed light on the ongoing problem of violence towards women. She said Jasmine was a smart, strong woman who could handle herself. Yet, she still fell victim to an obsessive, violent narcissist. Jasmine's mother said she had mixed feelings about Jenkins' death. It's a relief to know that this man is not out there um, with the possibility of causing harm to other people, you know. I mean, that was a dangerous person. And now we don't have to worry about him. But I, you know, I feel like, you know, he was a coward and he took the easy way out. He didn't want to face the consequences of his actions. And that's how he dealt with it. In the end, Lisa Lapore did not want her daughter to be remembered for how she died, but for how she lived. She was a wonderful person. She was kind-hearted. She was thoughtful, she, she was adventurous, she was strong, she loved like animals and she went out of her way to, you know, look after her friends and her family. I wish with all my heart I could have my daughter back, she added. This is a Story Hunter Productions podcast, written and produced by Catherine Fogarty. Audio production is by Daniel Borgers at Borgers Music. Visit us at storyhunterpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter to get more information and updates about new podcasts. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this story and others, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And feel free to leave us a review. We appreciate you listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com style.